0: Is telegram is it good that people are that people have telegram still or is it are they are they vulnerable to things is, is that is it bad like when 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 i say to people yeah the only thing that's really uncensored and left is telegram is that is that a good thing or is that like a, like like what's what do you think make of that
1: it's a bit of both <laughs>
0: Hello there, I'm Kevin Rothrock, the Managing Editor of Medusa's English Language Edition, and welcome back to another episode of The Russia Guy. We're now more than three weeks deep into Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, and one of the most common questions I've been hearing is, what information is still reaching Russians? Unless you're using a VPN to tunnel beneath the state's censorship, Instagram is blocked, Facebook is blocked, Twitter is blocked, YouTube is probably next. TikTok is has suspended Russians' ability to share new content. The independent news media is in tatters. It looks like the main social networks left standing will be things like Adnokhlasnykiv, Vkontakte, and Telegram. For a better understanding of what this means for Russia's information space, focusing particularly on Russians' increased reliance on Telegram, The Naked Pravda welcomes back two scholars for today's episode. But before we get to this week's guests, let me remind you that the federal censor, is now blocking Medusa's website in Russia. Since the outbreak of this war, transferring money from Russia to Europe has been impossible, and Medusa lost 30,000 contributors in Russia. At this moment, we get no money at all from inside Russia. And that's why we're turning to you, our international audience, to take the place of our supporters in Russia who can no longer donate. Despite the Kremlin's best efforts, we still reach millions of readers inside Russia and your recurring contributions now sustain our work and their access to independent information.
1: From the point of view, of like having access to alternative sources of information, however reliable they are, is, uh, I think, by default, a good thing.
0: That's Dr. Tanya Lokut, an associate professor in digital media and society at the School of Communications at Dublin City University in Ireland. She spent more than a decade researching the Russian-language corners of the internet, and she is the author of the book Beyond the Protest Square, Digital Media and Augmented Dissent, an in-depth study of protest and digital media in Ukraine and Russia.
1: However, because of Telegram's approach to content moderation, or lack thereof, um, what also happened is that, you know, it, it gives people access to information. It also gives people access to disinformation. So that, that's, that's why I would say it's, it's, good, it's both good and bad.
2: But, um, but also in addition, of course, we have some concerns about how Telegram portrays itself. So it has acquired
0: this reputation of uh, trying to fend for uh, populations that are at risk. That's Dr. Marielle Weiermars, an assistant professor in cybersecurity and politics at Maastricht University in the Netherlands. She's Tanya's co-author on an article published just a few weeks ago in post-Soviet affairs, titled, Is Telegram a Harbinger of Freedom? Well, is it? So for example, how they communicated about
2: themselves uh, during the, uh, the protest in Belarus, uh, where they really took the side of the Belarusian people, saying that we are defending your rights, and uh, we'll make sure that we are available to you and do our best to help you during this time. But at the same time, of course, we know that some of the the aspects of how they work actually put those kind of populations at risk. So need moderation. If you're not moderating enough, it also means that channels can become infiltrated. It can be they can be manipulated, and we've seen traces of that uh, before. So the the public communication about themselves are really positioning selves, uh themselves as protectors of freedom. It uh, sort of obscures all of the other aspects, so it really only sheds light on part of what they do, and it obscures some other aspects that we as researchers are quite concerned about.
0: So, what does that mean exactly? If, like, if the if the lack of mod- you're saying the lack of moderation can leave certain groups vulnerable, how does that work exactly?
1: Well, I mean, for for one thing, and I'm sure Marielle can give more examples, but you know, so if we're talking about access to Telegram. I mean, yes, it's accessible to whatever, Russian citizens, regardless of their political persuasion or how they think about the war in Ukraine. It's also accessible to Russian officials, Russian
0: secret services. So when you say accessible, do you just mean they can click on a channel and read it? Yeah,
1: they can they can access well, they can access it to consume content. They can also access it to publish content. Mm -hmm. Um, they can also access it to um, see what people are doing, uh, which channels people people are following. because you know not not everybody is adept enough, I think, to like be able to know how to hide their information on telegram or hide their phone number. So, you know it's it's a great place to find various kinds of information, including information that's hard to get if you're just watching Russian state media. But it's also a place where people can put themselves under great risk. Uh, and then, you know, be persecuted, not just for posting stuff, but even for following certain channels, which we've seen happen in Belarus and which we're now also seeing happen in Russia. We've also seen, you know, where people are accosted by police on the street and they they uh, ask you to show them your, your phone and which channels you subscribe to. And like, that's obviously quite quite an easy way to to find something that they can see as incriminating and therefore... Mm-hmm.
0: But there's nothing Telegram could do about that, I assume, if, like, the cops are literally going to grab your phone and and look at what you're subscribed to. I mean, that could be true of if you're reading anything, they could see that, I would think, or no?
1: I suppose, but I know that there are precedents of other apps that, you know, create this opportunity to, like, very quickly make the app invisible or hide it or or whatnot. So, like, Mm. creating some mechanism where just by tapping a few things, you can, you know.
0: So you're saying that like te- Telegram presents itself as like the ultimate defense against the police state, but that they're, in terms of the way it's designed and the the, the app itself doesn't actually do that. <laughs> what has do- <laughs> Or, or not, not good enough. Not good enough. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. le- le- let's say it like this, not good enough. Yeah. So for example, also how it communicates about how it encrypts communication right. also does not match really how secure it actually is. Uh, so that doesn't mean that it's worthless. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means that there is a gap in between uh, what people perceive it to do, uh, the level of protection that they perceive it to give, right. and what it actually does.
0: And this, you're you're referring to the fact that only the private conversations, which are kind of a pain to activate, those are the only end-to-end encrypted communications on Telegram. Uh, exactly. And on WhatsApp, like they're all end-to-end encrypted, is that right? And Signal, and there are alternatives that the, 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 they're, de- they're encrypted by default, right?
2: Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, yes.
0: And so how, so like, I, I hear that, I've, I've read that or whatever, and I've thought like, oh, okay, so Telegram doesn't do the thing with the basic stuff. How vulnerable does that actually, does that mean that like, it's fairly easy for police officers or for IT people working for police officers to grab communications off of Telegram then? Or what does that mean exactly in practice?
1: Well, I mean, in part, yes, because if, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're talking to from person A talks to person B, and if the, the, this is an end to end encryption, then there are technical ways to intercept that. We've also seen uh, other examples, you know, where like um, people have tried to hijack like phone numbers and, you know, basically like steal people's like. Login credentials and log in to Telegram and, and, you know, we've seen several of those things happen in Russia and elsewhere. And after that, it's like, oh yeah, everybody should use, you know, two-factor authentication, et cetera. But like, you know, if, if the mobile operator is cooperating with the authorities, <laughs> mm-hmm. what can we, what can we say? So I think it's 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 that, I think for a lot of people, this perception of like, well, Telegram, you can use it for some things, but don't use it for things that you really want to keep secret. Right. So like maybe you use it to whatever, follow some channels and consume news, but don't, don't use it for actually secret conversations that you want to have with people where you really don't want anybody to know what you're talking about. There are better platforms for that. I think this is kind of also what we're seeing now in Ukraine, where a lot of local activists and volunteers and everybody are like, well, we probably should be getting off Telegram because it's just not a very secure place for us to be, Mm -hmm. uh, to have all these conversations. And there are better Tools we can use to have the conversations that we really don't want every, anybody else to, to
0: be reading. This this conversation we're having about Telegram, obviously, it's not the first one that's been had about it in the sense of like, oh, there are problems with it. Why do you think then? I mean, why? Why you've you've said that in, in Ukraine they're waking up to this and they're pivoting to, I assume, Signal and other things, right? Probably those services. Why are why is that not happening in Russia? Like, to my knowledge. They're sticking with telegram. and it's if anything, there're more and more people are migrating to it. Like the people that are closing down their Instagrams and this and that, they're saying, find me on telegram. Go go there. And is there just no alternative like I know it's it, I suppose it's better than contacta in terms of security. And in terms of, certainly in terms of user interface and so on. I mean, like, actually, I will say as a, outside the kind I've said this before, and people like yelled at me like, Kevin, what are you saying? Why are you, why are you praising Telegrams, you know, as a good app or whatever? And it's like, oh, but it looks, it's so nice. I got it on my desktop. I got it on my phone, my iPad. It looks great. It's just a great app. User interface, wonderful. And then people say, Kevin, you're an idiot. Like, you're you're surrendering, you're telling people to go a place somewhere bad. It's like, you're 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 pointing them into danger. Okay, fair enough. But like it is a it is a beautiful app. It just looks it looks fantastic. Is that why people are sticking with it? Do they just do they just not care about the security like me?
2: <laughs> I, I think it's quite similar to uh, these big movements across platforms that we've seen before. So it's just about pragmatism. So where mm-hmm. are the people that you want to be talking to? Mm-hmm. And it just happens to be the Telegram already has a really large mass audience. It's really ingrained in in daily practices. It's in, uh, ingrained even in business practices right uh, so that means that this is just something that everyone uses uh, but it might actually be smart to be moving to telegram instead of moving things to whatsapp for example because as soon as they as meta is branded an extremist organization then right. you better not have it on your phone right
0: Right. yeah
1: and, and i think the other thing is you know it's 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 just a like habit is a very powerful thing like if hmm. people are used to using telegram and it's moreover right it's still available and yeah. Like for, for most people, like when, when they hear, oh, well, Telegram is still available in Russia. They're like, okay, well, we can keep using it, you know. And and nobody's really thinking, what does that mean in terms of like, well, why is it still available? Like, despite all the history they have with the Russian state and like the, the, the FSB and whatnot, like, why are they still available? Right. And so that's why we now have all these like rumors that crop up from time to time. And we don't know how much of it is true that, you know, maybe they're collaborating in some sense with with the state like we really don't know because nobody talks about it the state likes to talk about it but you know the state likes to talk in general Mm -hmm. and they like to make assertions about who they are collaborating with or not Mm -hmm. collaborating with you know because i mean if you remember like at at various times in the past five years they also said that oh we reached an agreement with facebook and with twitter and with google And, you know, and now they're all blocked. So maybe apparently there was no agreement. Right. But it's the same with Telegram, right? In because there's no information and we can't really verify because Dourav isn't saying anything. Yeah. And the state is saying some things like it's just really hard to know. But -hmm. for most people like that maybe don't use Telegram for high stakes stuff, it doesn't really matter. It's available. They're used to it. They know how to use it. All of their friends are on there of course, they'll use Telegram.
2: Yes, of course, there, there was one thing that Durov has said, uh, and that is that uh, he proposed to limit both Russian and Ukrainian channels because the, uh, of the spread of disinformation. And I think that this, uh, for us at least, was quite, quite a, a concerning thing because before, for example, in Belarus, uh, the company really sided. So they sided with the Belarusian protesters. Right. But now they said we will restrict access or restrict channels on both sides yeah and this is really unheard of so first of all because they are under moderating in general yeah so this would mean that they suddenly become very active and then to equate communication on both sides and that of course is uh, is very risky uh, because especially now uh, we know the dangers of having free flows of information there is a danger of disinformation but at the same time this is also what is providing us access to the information coming from the region so to close it off entirely means that we're also losing access to verified information. And mm-hmm. uh, so this, of course, was then retracted.
0: Yeah, like 30, like 35 minutes later.
2: Criticism. They backtracked. They backtracked very fast. But at the same time, I think that that yeah, is a statement that we need to take very seriously because it really deviates from what we've seen before.
0: What do you make of the fact that he that he reversed on that like literally after like 36 minutes? It was just like, it seemed to be bizarre. Like is it, do you have any sense of what was it, what the story is there? Cause to me it's like either that there's like the possibilities range from the whole thing was planned as a PR stunt to make them look, you know, so free and good versus like his IT team said they were gonna walk off the job if they went through with it. Like there's just like, anything's possible. Do you have any sense of like why that went down like that?
1: But I mean, that's that's the thing, though, right? It's like we really don't know because I mean, you know, no matter how much like there's, you know, there have been these attempts to like publish these like exposés and stuff about Telegram, and then like Mm there is really very little information about how they work, where they work, and I think that's it. It creates this like image of like this uh, whatever resistance, you know, (laughs) before Vendetta type stuff or like we're all they're all working somewhere, nobody knows where they are, they move around. But it also, it it creates a a sense that there's, like, there's very little basis for us to trust Telegram, because we don't really know what they're doing, Mm. where their allegiances lie. And if their allegiances lie with anyone but, you know, Durov himself and whatever his business interests, you know, because obviously, like, you know, he claims that his platform stands for certain things and has certain values. Mm -hmm. But also, You know, it's a platform, it's a business, it needs to make money, it needs to stay afloat. And, you know, they've had several sort of cases where, like, you know, with their cryptocurrency and like with, 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 you know, those, those situations where like people just maybe for the same reason where like, you know, it just wasn't, they just weren't able to gain enough trust because people don't know enough about them and, and what they stand for and their values. You know, so at once they claim to be like for transparency and freedom of speech, but at the same time, they're very intransparent about even their own company or like, you know, who works there, where are these people, right. et cetera. So I think there's this tension. And for me, like, yeah, and also, you know, because as you say, like all we know, like literally all the stuff that relates to governance or anything, like it all comes from doer personally, which is also really weird, mm-hmm. right? Like they very rarely release any, like, company statements. Right. And everything comes from Durov, you know, so he released, he made the statement about Ukraine, blocking Ukrainian and Russian channels, then he retracted it, then I think earlier he also posted something about claiming that he had, like, Ukrainian roots or whatever. And that stuff. Was, so yeah, and one is was, that why we should trust That you? was
0: in English. He did that one in English, and then he did the policy suggestions in Russian. So it's also, like, mm-hmm. I talked to people that only saw the English one, didn't even aren't even aware he has a Russian channel. Yep. And so it is very much like, what's, what is happening over there? Exactly.
1: And so it's like, yeah, (laughs) Ukrainian roots. So does that mean like Ukrainians should trust you? That's not enough. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) So in terms of like a lot of people, I think will, a lot of people's response to that would be like, oh, so you're saying go trust like big tech in Silicon Valley instead, because they have these transparency reports, but they're all beholden to the CIA, blah, blah, blah. Like, how do you respond to the, to, to, is is it, is that just a kind of like fringe conspiracy response and ultimately like, sorry, but Meta and, and, and Twitter are better than that because they are more transparent? Or is it all relativistic and no one should trust anyone and we should all just, there's like some little small startup project that maybe we can trust and everyone should go there until they become too big and untrustworthy as well. Like, is there... Is there any light of hope in, in, in this cyber world? Now, we should indeed be
2: very critical of all of them. And I think that yeah. it's a very positive development that now the, there's a lot of more public awareness That this actually is something that is relevant and it touches everyone's lives so that everyone should care about privacy about the security of your communications that even if you think that your conversations are not interesting (laughs) that actually they can put you in danger still Mm -hmm. Uh, so the 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 fact that we now have this public awareness i think is really important as it pushes uh, companies to actually take this seriously and to take sufficient measures so the, the level of transparency that we see, for example, from these Western platforms, uh, the transparency reports that they publish. A few years ago, this was unimaginable that mm. they would be doing this. And this really is a result of uh, a lot more of this campaigning, uh, pushing for respecting rights and also for more transparency. Mm. So, of course, it doesn't apply now to all platforms. We see quite some deviations. Some have very extensive transparency reports, others publish none. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, TikTok now in Russia also is a quite an interesting case because they, they self-blocked more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it appears that some of the things that they actually did were not communicated. So that half of their actions were communicated and then the other half was implemented but not communicated. Uh, so the, this, the the lack of transparency there about what they are actually doing and how that might impact the information that Russians are able to get, mm-hmm. uh, that really is a concern. So there are differences between the platforms, but indeed we should be critical of all of them.
0: and what did, what did TikTok do that it, it didn't say publicly? I know that because they disabled like posting, right?
2: Yes, so what they announced was that they would uh, disable posting uh, within Russia. Mm-hmm. And this is also what they actually did, uh, but now it appears, there's a recent report uh, that they also, at the same time, uh, blocked all non-Russian channels. For,
1: for users inside Russia. I see.
2: Uh, which, of course, means that these users suddenly did not have access to all of those nice Ukrainian TikTok videos that we are talking about.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: This was not communicated.
0: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Okay. Good. Or Not good, but understood. Can I ask you a little bit more about the, the Belarusian case, because I feel like that's something that people are not talking about, because you two have written something, have you not?
1: Yeah, we have a recent paper that just was recently published as part of a special issue on Belarus that talks specifically about Telegram, not just as a platform that was used by both protesters and the Belarusian state, but as an actor mm-hmm. in the Belarusian protests.
0: And so what in terms of looking at that case, I know we've already discussed it a little bit, but you said that you said that the difference, the main difference, at least in terms of what the Telegram has signaled so far, is that they basically threatened to do to moderate both sides as opposed to side with the protesters. In terms of like the role that Telegram is playing in the Russian invasion of Ukraine and during the Belarusian protests, how how similar is it? Because I know, it, like on Telegram, when I'm when I click on Telegram, I've got a mix of these like channels with z's latin z's written in them and then i've got a mix of channels with like dead russian soldiers <laughs> and they're like it's just like awful everywhere i'm kind of like trying to like i look at it through the corner of my eye like i don't want to see dead bodies i don't want to see z's i'm just trying to get information <laughs> but there's
1: also lots of information i mean like on the ukrainian side which like all, all the you know I, my my telegram was full of it's like you know train schedules mm. for evacuation like all sorts of updates volunteer stuff organizing like that is all also there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think like, you know, so so like in the case of Belarus, and obviously Marielle can can add more, but like what we saw when we were looking at, at it during the protests in Belarus was that people were obviously using it to organize protests across the country, local chat groups, all of that, also educating each other on like what to do, how to make yourself safer, et cetera, et cetera. We also obviously saw Belarusian state using Telegram. So, you know, they also had channels, their channels were not blocked. But, you know, they were kind of there and they were putting out their own like press releases and and reports about obviously disinformation about what was happening. But at the same time, Telegram released, like made several kind of very overt statements in support of the protesters. Um, You know, like they added the, the sticker with the Belarusian flag, they replaced the like, official flag with the, the, the real flag, you know, the the white, red and white, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So they kind of took very publicly took the side of the protesters Mm -hmm. and said that they would also try to keep the platform available for people, even though the state was trying to block telegram alongside everything else
0: what do you make of that uh, the telegram rolled out some like new update recently with a bunch of harry potter cartoon characters and one of the books had like the ukrainian coat of arms on the cover
1: yeah but i mean that's very very subtle
0: they're in with no that's
1: (laughs) well it's all it's kind of alongside this like doer of saying he has ukrainian roots i'm like you know like if you want to say something just say it like Uh don't you know don't like use dobby the elf you know, to stand in for Putin, like, that's just lame. Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. But what if, what if like, he's concerned that any more going any more explicit would add them to the block list? And then would we be better off just because he made a, a public statement or something?
2: I, I think, actually, already last year they, they were very concerned, uh, so this was during the, the Russian parliamentary elections, yeah. uh, when there were these very high-level confrontations between Western tech uh, companies, so Apple and Google and the Russian government, right. over the removal of the smart voting app. And then, Durov uh, announced that they would also remove it from from Telegram, so the smart voting bot, yeah. uh, because Apple had threatened them. Uh, to remove them from the app store, so there are also these uh, indirect ways uh, in which, right. of course, it's very complicated, and a lot of this happens uh, b- where we do not see it, right? We we do not have access to all this information. But, Dur-
0: but when he, when they did that, have Dur- blamed so he blamed Apple and Google. He's like, oh, they're the ones oppressing Telegram. We're we're forced to. You can still access this on our web app or whatever, right? But- yeah,
1: but that's because he's he has this constant like. That's a constant refrain, you know, he he keeps blaming Apple and Google as like being on the wrong side of history and like being the bad guys, whereas he is and his app is the hero. Yeah. And I mean, that's like, that's a nice story. I don't necessarily, like, I think Apple and Google certainly also did some things wrong when they were blocking the smart voting app. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, that just fits very neatly into his kind of ongoing narrative where he presents Telegram as like fighting for the right of the small... The small person and all of that, and and those companies are corporate, greedy, etc. So he like there's it's part of a bigger story mm-hmm. that he's telling about Telegram.
2: But if we um, if, if we ret- return to Belarus, then I think the situation is still quite different uh, because in, in Belarus actually people were not using Telegram that much before the protests happened. Mm. So it was very much because of the circumstances. So because the internet was shut down, because Telegram was the only one pretty much that was still accessible with some level of reliability, that suddenly this Mm -hmm. became the platform to use. So where you're able to access, for example, Nyekta. So before that, uh, people were using YouTube, they were using Viper, they were using all different kinds of services. So we were analyzing these chat groups and a lot of the discussions were about, can you still use this? Can you still use this platform? And then it turns out everything is no longer accessible. Also a lot of VPN services did not work. So everyone ended up in Telegram and they had to use it because there was simply nothing else available. And of course the current situation now, both in in Russia and Ukraine is very different. So you still have several services in parallel that are available even though, of course, in Russia, the number of different services mm-hmm. is decreasing. Right. And people were using it before. That is also different.
0: Russia already theoretically blocked Telegram for like a year or so, a couple of years ago, but it was ext- it was very ineffective. And I know that they've upgraded their censorship technology since then by adding deep packet inspection and, and just beefing up the whole system. Is there a possibility that Telegram would still be positioned to evade censorship better than, say kind of like a a big steamship organization like Facebook which isn't capable of suddenly becoming like a ninja app or whatever and dodging censorship whereas Telegram's like they're they present themselves as the guerrilla warriors so they're going to start doing all these funny circumvention things like that when Telegram was blocked it was like they're all all their moves to evade censorship it was like are you guys just like in a basement, like having fun? Like this doesn't seem like this went through, you know, tons of like levels of bureaucracy. Like you guys are just kind of like winging it, aren't you?
1: I mean, I, th- I think it's it's possible that they will have to work harder. I mean, certainly at what we know, like from from um, the tech experts is that, you know, the, the whole sovereign internet and all of those filtering systems have gotten better. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen this, obviously, with the amount of stuff that's been blocked and you know, with their ability to throttle Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and then to to block it wholesale. I think though, that even now with Facebook and Twitter being blocked, people are still in Russia are still finding ways to use them. Twitter is, I think has created like a, you know, an onion version of their website that can be used with tour. I think Facebook is probably doing the same. So everybody has like their own sort of things that they're doing to try and, and remain available to people. I mean, I think Telegram, as you say, it's probably a bit more nimble just due to the, like the, the very design of their platform and, and because they've been working on these technologies for longer, so they, they probably might, it might be easier for them to Mm evade. But ultimately, you know, I mean, you know, if we come to the point where like, there is like literal disconnection or whatever from, you know, from Russia's side, they're just like, we're just going to disconnect. Like then that's, that spells trouble for everyone, including Telegram. I mean, unless they come up with some revolutionary way to to remain accessible. But you know, I think also like people, people are becoming more and more adept. Like I've seen a story yesterday, I think in conversant where were today about the fact that like, people are downloading various VPN services at record speed, like Mm -hmm. millions and millions of downloads. So people are becoming more war literate in that sense as well. So yeah. yeah, I don't necessarily know that like we will ever see like total isolation. I mean, unless they like cut the cables like physically, mm-hmm. I don't know.
2: Uh, and also if you think about a telegram in particular, then of course it has several functions, but also it, it is a messenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you look at alternative messengers, then I think for them, the best one to keep uh, and the one that also everyone is using, including within the government, right. is Telegram. So which one would you kick out? You would first kick out WhatsApp. So WhatsApp mm-hmm. has to go before Telegram can go. Or at least that's how I understand the logic.
0: And it likely will go because it's, kind of, it's owned by Meta and Meta. Well, I
1: mean, for, for now, they've said that they're actually not going to ban WhatsApp because the first people thought they, they if would.
0: If they make Meta an extremist organization, isn't every one of their products an extremist Thing, I guess it's your, it's, it's, it's not a it's, it's it, not a rule. No, there's no rule of law. So
1: <laughs> yeah, don't look for logic here. Okay, uh-huh. Um they just yeah they did. So Instagram is off, Facebook is off, but WhatsApp is okay for now. Right, and I you know again like I think like what Mariel is saying is correct. Like Telegram is kind of like it's a dual-use technology. So like it's used by opposition and protesters, but it's also used by the government and it's also used by the secret services to spy on what Ukrainians are saying mm-hmm. and like you know on those channels where they're posting. <laughs> yeah. Reports on uh, on the number of soldiers who died, were captured, etc. So right. it remains a nice space for gathering information about what's going on, because as we know, Russia hasn't been as as, as great as they thought they were about uh, collecting information about uh, what's happening in Ukraine. So maybe now they're like, we probably shouldn't cut off telegraphic. We need to at least keep an eye on what's going on. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: You know, watch those Zelensky videos.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. What's, what's your outlook for? I mean, we've already, you've, you've said, you just said that you don't, you're not certain that it'll go all the way to total isolation and severing of the, the cables and, and, and whatnot. But like we are talking about WhatsApp maybe getting blocked. and It's not necessarily automatically going to be blocked when Meta is just declared extremist. If you click on a lot of the YouTube videos from the prominent YouTubers now, they're almost, they sound like farewell videos. They're saying, you know, we don't know if, I don't know if this is the last one. Find me on Telegram. If you had to speculate, where, what do you kind of think is possible or likely to happen in the next week or two in terms of Russian internet developments?
2: I think this is uh, really uh, almost impossible to predict. Also, because to to be honest, just the events of the past few weeks, everything has been developing so fast yeah. uh, that it's almost impossible to comprehend what this will also mean. So, if you also look at the uh, Western companies, Western tech companies and services leaving the Russian market that are really affecting the Russian internet sector in so many ways that uh, we now see some cracks appearing and we really do not know how this will develop. So this might also be something that they have to take into account. So is, for example, Yandex able to stay afloat? Because it might be that Yandex is collapsing at the moment. So they are selling off their core products um, and their, their, uh, their deputy CEO was just put under sanction by the EU. Uh, So there are massive shifts within the Russian internet sector as well, uh, because of the the various effects that the departure of Western firms and services, as well as the sanctions are having. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is also perhaps something that they have to take into account. Uh, So you want to have those kinds of services because they perform all kinds of societal functions. Uh, So you cannot just take them out because you don't like them. So if they still perform a function that you need, Mm -hmm. then you might have to keep them. Uh, but at the same time especially youtube i think is uh, very much in danger uh, but it has been in danger for quite some time i i saw that uh roskomnadzor a few days ago was in, again very annoyed that uh, spas so the uh, russian orthodox channel was blocked again mm-hmm. uh, so we keep on seeing these repeated um calls where they say please unblock please uh, unblock you are censoring us yeah and uh, it, this is of course something that is then very easily used as a pretext but again only at the moment where they feel that the the balance uh, within the choice means that they now have to block it. So of course we know this is what they also use for their own propaganda. It's a very essential platform. It's also a platform that many Russians use.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so it, it might stay afloat a little bit longer, but we have to see.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, actually the, the kind of, the, the decision to say brand Facebook or Meta as extremist, I think it's very clever because you know, it's one thing to just block Facebook and then like people try to use VPNs to keep accessing it. It's another one to say this is an extremist company and therefore if you continue to use it, we can also punish you. Because that also means that people will probably feel like it's a, it's dangerous to still have an account or to, to it's
0: like amazing. how they handled Navalny, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. So it, it creates Pressure on the company, it also creates pressure on the users, which is arguably much easier to exercise because you know, especially if the users are inside the country. sure, and I mean, for that reason, like you know v k is accessible, but also everybody understands that v k is beholden to to the state, yeah, uh, whereas Facebook wasn't, but now, because it's branded as extremist, it's potentially just dangerous to use it. Mm-hmm. Even if you can't make any money or monetize from it, I mean, the same will probably most likely happen to YouTube if you know if if it continues right. in the same vein. Right.
2: Maybe uh, to to add one more thing. So now we're talking about services and whether they are available, but of course you also have the dimension of censorship and self censorship, which is now taking effect. So we see that the first people are indeed being fined or being prosecuted for what they have been saying online, and this that means that if you say. No to war or if you uh, share any information about the war and that you can be prosecuted for this so this is what we will be seeing more and more in the, the coming weeks that a service can be available but if you're no longer able to really speak on that platform mm-hmm. then that doesn't make a difference and i think that this is something that we have not been discussing sufficiently in the past or really focus on right. but is this service available but the problem is, is there any information on it? So there can be internet, but if there are no Russian journalists writing in Russian that are independent, it means that there's no information available.
0: You've been listening to The Naked Private, an English-language podcast from Medusa. On today's show, you heard about Telegram and Russian internet censorship with special guests Dr. Tanya Lokut and Dr. Marielle Weiermars. Two experts on Russian digital media and the global politics of internet freedom. The Naked Profit is a podcast from Medusa. It's our only English language show, and I hope you recommend us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in to help put this program in front of more people. And also, I'll say it again, I said at the top of the show, if you value Medusa's reporting, whether in English or Russian, please consider making a donation at support.medusa.io to help sustain our work. Recurring pledges help more. We'll take whatever you can spare, of course. Thank you for listening and come back soon.